Tog, everyone, and welcome to episode 76 of the F1 show for coverage of the 2010 German Grand Prix from Hockenheim, Germany. And yes, I've exhausted all the German I know. I am Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau, and uh, we've got an exciting show for you, as always, possibly even more exciting than the race. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we, will, we will talk about, obviously, the, the news, the driver swaps going on, and some, uh, some interesting stuff there, and then all the coverage, as usual, of uh, practice, quality, and the race. And then your predictions and trivia, listener feedback, the whole nine yards. It's so going to be sweet. Let's go. Okay, news. Um, since the last race weekend, it's once again HRT, and it's once again involving Sakon Yamamoto. Yes. Except this time, Bruno Senna's back in the car, and our own Karun Chanduk is out. Yes, they cannot say no to a driver with money. And uh, apparently last weekend, or two weeks ago in, in, uh, in England, uh, Bernie Ecclestone and his guys pulled some strings and said, oh no, you know, you, you can't kick uh, Cameron Chanduk out of the car. You know, we've got to, if you want to have Sakon in the car and take his money, then, uh, you know, you've got to, you know, move Bruno Seno aside. They did that. And uh, I guess maybe Bruno's people came up with some more money or something. But uh, yeah, unfortunately now for this weekend, um, yeah, so Karun Chandok is out of the car. Um, Sakon Yamamoto is, uh, is, is now partnered with Bruno Senna, and I'm sure we'll have an amazing stellar performance, and I'm sure they'll score lots of points, and it'll be great yeah. because mm-hmm. that's the only reason. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was drivers. purely a performance reason to switch. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is the teams, from the reports on the uh, principal and his financial issues, the team's kind of in dire straits, so definitely money is a good thing. Um, unfortunately, I think both Jim and I thought that uh, Karun was doing a great job. Uh, considering his manic start to the season, he just he's really you know picked up and done really well, and it, it's a shame to see him out of the car. And, and and unfortunately, I don't think he's been able to have enough time or do enough to prove himself to stay in F1 racing in a different team. Yeah, and it's just unfortunate every time we see really clear examples where it's not always about driver talent. It's not about you know the uh, just the best performance on track. It's Sometimes just about money, and it's uh, we know that, but it's still it's unfortunate to see that play out that way. Um, the other news I actually thought was interesting, not, not a huge story, but uh, it could be, um, especially in light of the uh, Mark Webber's comments after the British Grand Prix with all, you know, not bad for number two driver and all that, um, is that teams used to have a button that they could censor their own radio broadcast and say, yeah, we don't want this to go out on the air. They no longer have that ability. So now it's uh, up to the broadcasters and FOM. Um, they can choose any part of team radio that they want to put on the air. Wow. And uh, so that could be interesting if there's any more of these, you know, back and forth comments between drivers and teams. And actually, as it turned out, after this race, we did hear uh, more radio than usual back and forth between the race winner and his team. So uh, that's hasn't been any huge drama yet, but it, it you know, could solve some interesting problems and it could uh, change this issue where after the race, you know, a couple of days afterwards, they release more footage and it has more audio in it or, you know, they, it's, they can stop the teams from being a little bit shady. So I think that's, uh, that's good. Cause it's any kind of transparency like that, I think is helpful for the fans and obviously for us. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I think well, that's, I think that's good. It's good to have the information and it also adds a little bit of strategy, uh, you know, makes you wonder if there's going to be a little bit more, uh, embedded code in some of the more, um, less emotional, more tactical information that comes across the air, you know, radio, like, you know, the squirrel is about to pounce. I repeat, the squirrel is about to pounce, and that means you need to, you know, lean up on fuel or something. I don't know. It could be cool. Yeah, but the other thing they mentioned is, of course, there will be some kind of a delay, so if drivers swear that doesn't go out on the radio, sure. as, which we have seen years past. Look that up on YouTube. It's funny. Um, <laughs> specifically, actually, Mark Weber and Sebastian Vettel. But um, so Weber had, an, in an interview, made a comment about, oh, so if I'd had a swear in my whole comment about the number two driver, then, then it wouldn't have been on the air. So maybe <laughs> that's the new strategy, right, is if you're saying something really controversial, just insert profanity in the middle and then it's not suitable for tv then i won't go out there yeah if, if i were racing in f1 there'd be very little of my radio i think being <laughs> transmitted <laughs> so of course this is the german grand prix but uh this is one of those little bit weird ones where it actually the the actual track uh, they move around so um Right now, the situation is that every other year, it's at Hockenheim, and it's at the Nürburgring uh, GP circuit. Correct. Um, just kind of like the European Grand Prix has moved around, and it's, a, it's sort of a weird one. Uh, but So this is at Hockenheim. Uh, we were not at Hockenheim last year. We were the year before that, and uh, I don't really recall exactly how it's been. You know, For a while, that was the European Grand Prix, and it's, it's yeah, all tricky. Well, I, think, uh, I think in 2008, the Nürburgring was a European Grand Prix, and then 2009, it became the German Grand Prix because Valencia was a European Grand Prix. Or maybe it's been – I mean, the Valencia has been the European Grand Prix since it's been on the – 
on the uh, calendar. So yeah. as long as that race has existed, so whatever. So Hockenheim, I mean, Nürburgring is kind of you know the big track, mostly for Nordschleife uh, and, the, and the cooler Nürburgring track. Uh, but that's been the sort of classic German Grand Prix well, for and us. Even I mean the GP. GP track in Nürburgring is still a good one. It's yes. obviously no Nordschleife, but... Yes, um, but uh, yeah, so it's it, you know still cool to be back here. Um, the track feels a bit artificial to me. Um, it's kind of like it has this nice outline, and it originally was a much larger track, uh, but now just sort of looking at the... the uh, the circuit, it's like you can just tell they kind of artificially cut a couple pieces into the infield, and um, it, it does have some history. It has been around for a long time, but um, not one of the real most you know dramatic and amazing races. No, but definitely um, not. But as far as the culture, um, obviously part of what we like to try to do is uh, get involved with the cuisine of the uh, of the race. So this time, is, German food. Yes, and we are actually blessed with a very Bavarian, very German restaurant uh, near us, uh, right in Ann Arbor, called Metzger's. And uh, we haven't eaten it yet. We're, we are once again trying to be done before dinner um, with podcasting, which is really, truly not easy for us. But um, I can attest to Jim that it is very, very good. Last year I was there and I had Hassenpfeffer. Ooh. Yes. So what are we going for? Some, some Spatzen and some Strudel? And Well, and personally, I'm a German beer fan far above an English beer fan. Ah. So, so I'm I'm much I'm looking forward to that part of it as well. Alrighty, well uh, we'll have to see on that, and also to uh, to complete the previous uh, episode's report, the fish and chips were amazing. Oh, they were fantastic, and, and we didn't actually have tartar sauce. We had a it was like a it was like a vinegar. It was some special sauce they made. It was like oh that curry sauce. Yeah, it was no 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 no. Well, it there was, was there was curry sauce. There as well. was curry sauce involved. Yes, but it was like a vinegar tartar mixy thing. It was like Thousand Eyes and Dressing, except instead of ketchup and mayonnaise and relish or whatever it is, it was vinegar and tartar sauce mixed together, kind of. And, and now that we've informed our listeners of this very important information, <laughs> let's start talking about this weekend. Yeah, Friday practice. Finally back to the racing. It was a wet one, a very wet Friday. Um, Friday practice one was um, soaking at the beginning and got even worse. I think got going and then started drying off towards the end. Um, Lewis Hamilton did not experience much of that, however. Yeah, he, Hamilton had a really big crash uh, in early in, in FP in free practice one. The funny thing is, is I, I you know saw the footage. It w- actually wasn't that big of a crash. It was just yeah, the me, way he bounced around just yeah. took all the corners off from the onboard. Actually, it wasn't like a yeah, it wasn't anything. It was you know worried about him being injured or anything like that. So it wasn't like some giant crash, but it, it was enough to really mess up a lot of parts of the car. Yes, and, and what exactly. they had to do to rebuild the car sounded very serious from a new floor and all new suspension pieces right. and like it was like a pretty serious rebuild of the yeah. car. The the crash looked a lot heavier on paper than it did in real life. Right. Yeah, it's funny. Jensen Button didn't crash. That's weird. Oh, yeah. Maybe he's... Oh. Hmm. Uh, so Hamilton only actually got to get about 10 minutes of, uh, of running in what I saw, what I called dry-ish conditions. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he came out and it was actually quite a bit faster than Button, even with only that little bit of running at the very end of uh, practice, too. Well, so, I, I would say a little bit faster, maybe perhaps slightly. But we all know, everyone here knows that Button's a late breaker. <laughs> And uh, so McLaren. And I mean, later in the weekend, not late into the corner, because he breaks quite early. Because he gets scared. <laughs> um, <laughs> McLaren did make a point to say, "Oh yeah, but we, even even with this crash, we did bring enough parts and uh, spares and everything so that both cars could run the same setup." Which I thought was funny because, of course, they did. Which is what most teams do. It's just you know, Red Bull in their uh, ridiculousness didn't. And yeah. uh, you know, I, just to close that out, um, there's you know been more some more talk about it, but at the end of the day. Horner was quite douchey about the whole thing. We all know that. It was a mistake. Everyone knows that, and hopefully we can move on. Um, the other thing that I think was most compelling about Ferrari and Friday, which I just ruined my own thing, was Ferrari. Friday and Ferrari. Yes, yeah, so they were right, right mixed, with the, the, uh, mixed with the Red Bulls for the top four spots. Um, and, and it seemed to me almost out of the blue. I mean, they, they were just – the last three or four race weekends, it's been – uh, you know, they haven't even been a thought, really. Yeah, and we've seen uh, every once in a while they'll do well on Friday, and you figure, oh, that's not going to continue on into Saturday and so on. But uh, it looked like they actually had some genuine pace. Um, also, there was a potential for wet qualifying and potential for wet race as well. Uh, so everyone had a lot of work to do on uh, on Friday, and I do think that really hurt uh, Lewis a lot. And, you know, having uh, being out of the car for almost all the sessions and uh, not having enough time to, to collect a lot of data and all that. So I, I do give Jensen credit because he probably had to do all the runs for both cars to yeah. figure out setup options 
options and, and uh, you know, tire choices and all that. Um, and then Mercedes actually was just sort of not far off that pace. Uh, so, uh, you know, you'd think that would be, you know, everyone in Germany would be all huge, uh, hugely into that because it's, you know, two German drivers, obviously one of them being Michael Schumacher uh-huh, and a uh-huh. German team, that uh, the fans would be out in force for them, and they really weren't. Uh, yeah, you know, was, that was the one thing. That was one of the inter- interesting statistics was that, you know, Michael Schumacher drew an extra 15,000 people to the stands. And yet, uh, for race day, which is getting a little bit ahead of us, but I mean, they were still 15,000 short yeah. on race day. And obviously shorter than that qualifying and way shorter than that on Friday. Yeah, and we don't always get numbers or, or a good idea for how full the stands are on Friday and Saturday. But can I just say, back to Canada, I mean, it was very, you know, the, the stands were, were not packed full, but there was at least, you know, half a capacity, um, probably more, probably like two-thirds capacity on Friday, let alone Saturday was pretty much full, and then Sunday was just was totally sold out. So um, it's, you know... Just one of these races where, yeah, it's Germany. You'd think there'd be a whole lot of race fans, like we talked about. Six there's a lot German of German drivers. Yeah, a lot of German drivers, and yet, you know, it's still uh, st- still not a huge amount of fans. So, man, come to the U.S. Well, we will fill those stands. All right, that takes us to qualifying. And the first note I have is that, uh, you know, McLaren uh, is running their blown diffusers this weekend. They are trying that out for the actual rest of the race weekend. And they are awesome. Except that they don't really work still, it seems. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're still, lacking downforce. There's still work to do on that, for sure. Yeah, I mean, their, their top end speed is better than anybody's. I think 6, 7 kph they're talking about. But the downforce, it's, it's, it's nowhere to be seen. Yes. Um, also, Bridgestone is trying to add drama to the race, and they're bringing tires that are hard and super soft, which are three levels apart instead of the normal two levels apart right. in terms of actual, you know, tire grip versus performance on longevity. Which our regular listeners will know we've actually been talking about for a few races now. Basically, since Canada, uh, that was a little bit of a revelation. Like, whoa, when the tires wear out, that's actually a good thing, which is kind of a, kind of a duh thing for us. But truth of the matter is, you know, if you're taking away fuel stops... Uh, for fuel, if you're taking away pit stops for fuel, then having pit stops for tires makes tons and tons of sense. Give the drivers more grip and have them have to manage the tires and make more, you know, have consequences. Yes. And uh, so they're trying to add that. And, and also a big difference in speed where a slower car could, you know, potentially right. make some interesting moves with the softer tires. And, and we'll see how that goes into the uh, into the race, but certainly in qualifying, um, that meant you know a pretty big difference. But apparently, the uh, so- super softs would, if you really pushed them, would la- wear out after like two laps, like yeah. just really short window of usability. And uh, that certainly plays into the strategy of uh, where everyone wants to start on their on their tires for the start of the race. Yeah, Q one went pretty normal for everybody except for one Italian. Ooh, Vita Antonio Liuzzi in the Force India had a very big crash. Um, it, you know, the coming onto the pit straight and uh, just it was. You know, just got off onto the onto the grass, which I think was was still wet yeah, at that point. It wasn't raining, but it was just it was left, still wet. Left rear tire caught the grass. He still had a lot of lat built in the vehicle. So instead of straightening out and trying to just you know run it, he he totally caught and looped it right into the inside wall. Yeah, and uh, you know. And if you remember Timo Glock's uh, crashing his Toyota back two years ago, just replay that again. It's pretty much what happened. Uh, Timo's car rotated around a little bit more and kind of hit on the back. But uh, so it was just a, it did they did red flag the session for a little while. Got everything cleaned up and, and went on as normal. So of course in the uh, in Q1 it was Liuzzi and then the, the usual um, slow three teams uh, you know knocked out. Um, but the end of Q2 uh, was, was quite a bit of drama. Yes. Nico Hulkenberg just barely uh, bumped Michael Schumacher out of Q2 into, uh, into 11th. Uh, so, you know, he would, you know, wouldn't get it in, wouldn't get uh, right. into Q3. And the way it went down was both Rosberg and Schumacher were uh, languishing in the back, and they both put in better times. Uh, Schumacher was ahead of uh, Rosberg, and then they both put in their last attempts in Q2. Rosberg shot up to 8th. Uh, Michael ninth or something like that. And then someone else came through, like Kubitzer or somebody, and all of a sudden Schumacher was 10th. And then Hulkenberg, right at the end, right at the last moment, came in and um, pimped um, Schumacher and... Uh, stuck him back in 11th. Yeah, so. I think Hulkenberg ended up 8th or something. I think he actually got in front of Rosberg as well, but... Rosberg was safe. Yeah, so uh, after all the all the build-up and, oh, German team, German driver, Michael Schumacher, oh, and he's 11th spot, doesn't make it into the final round of qualifying. That's too bad. It's but, a shame. But the end of Q3 um, did have some good excitement to it, and with the top two drivers only two thousandths of a second apart, and as all the different broadcasts have always mentioned, that's only five inches on the track, if yes, you, you know, and yes. all that. Um, very, very, very close. Uh, but Sebastian Vettel came out with pole position just barely over Fernando Alonso in the Ferrari. Yeah, it was, it was very important impressive to see and what uh was surprising for me was that weber wasn't right there with him because you know especially these last 
few races, Weber and Vettel have been all over each other for qualifying. And I think, uh, I think maybe Weber just gave a little too much of himself for the last uh, race, and he just didn't quite have it in him for this one or something. Cause yeah. He just wasn't quite there. Uh, Weber ended up fourth. Behind Massa. Felipe Massa yeah. actually made it up into third spot for qualifying. And then behind him, Jensen Button. Out qualifying Hamilton. I'll, mm-hmm. give him, I'll give him credit for that. Hamilton was just behind. Yes. And uh, that's that's where they stand for the top five. And uh, Good for Button fans. And real quick, I was wrong, actually. Hulkenberg did end up in 10th, Rosberg in 9th in Q2. With no fewer than six Germans currently occupying the Formula One driver's lineup here at the German Grand Prix, it was fitting that young Sebastian Vettel started the race from pole. Unfortunately, not enough German fans bothered to fill the stands at Hockenheim, and hence, not enough Germans were around to cheer Vettel around. This left plenty of room for the Italians to pounce. Ferrari jumped to 1-2 by the end of Turn 1, with Massa leading Alonso after a wicked start on the clean side of the track. Further back, Hamilton once again made a massively impressive start and jumped from 6th to 3rd. Vettel got back around early on, forcing the Brit to settle for 4th. McLaren teammate Jensen Button had a poor start after out-qualifying his teammate for the fourth time in 11 tries. He dropped from 5th to 7th. However, the tortoise driver once again made great use of tires and stayed out many laps longer than anyone else on the Super Sauce and reclaimed his starting place in 5th. As the race went on, tension raised at the Scuderia. Scuderia. Ah, Alright, one more time. I got it. This time. Go ahead. As the race went on, tension raised at the Scuderia as Massa acquiesced to the team's request to let Alonso pass. Those were air quotes, by the way, if no one saw this. Why Alonso couldn't pass on his own, we don't know. But alas, that was the most exciting pass of the race, and that is, in fact, how they finished. It means that Fernando Alonso wins the German Grand Prix. Felipe Massa held off Sebastian Vettel to take second place and give Ferrari its first 1-2 since Bahrain. Behind the first Red Bull were the McLarens, Hamilton leading Button. In sixth, Mark Webber served as a bookend to the next three drivers ahead of him in both the race and the championship. Robert Kubica continued to collect points in the inferior Renault, finishing seventh. He led the train of both Mercedes machines, once again Rosberg ahead of Schumacher. The aging German said of his performance that he would have been faster than his teammate had he remembered to turn off his left-hand turn signal. That left one pretty point for one pretty Russian, Vitaly Petrov in the Renault. Jim, team orders? Yeah, so Red Bull teammate gate is uh, out of the spotlight now, <laughs> and now it's all Why about... are there so many gates in F1? Man, I don't, we can't just have some good, clean racing anymore. But uh, hey, this is, this is interesting. So we haven't had a, uh, a team orders fiasco in a little while. And, uh, man, Ferrari, what, it's, so, it's very, very clear team orders. Oh, um, yeah. It's Ferrari, who, you know, which is the team that caused the team orders rule in the first place. Right. Um, and, it's, and did it for the exact same reasons for this race. Yeah. So. Because they kept. Here's the thing. So I think most everyone knows what happened. If they didn't, you can find out easily enough. But um, Alonzo and Massa were 1-2. Massa was ahead of Alonzo. He had a great start. He was racing very well. Alonzo felt he was faster than Massa. And in truth, he was a little bit. But he couldn't get around him. So he basically complained to the team and said, I need to get around him. And the team, quote, said, Massa, uh, to Massa, Alonzo is faster than you. Do you understand? Yeah, please acknowledge that you understand please this Please acknowledge that you understand this message. Uh, lap and a half later, Massa let Alonzo by very publicly. It was very obvious. And um, then after the words... Um, uh, Robert Smedley came back on the radio and said, "Good job, lad. Sorry." Yes. So really, no, no two bones about it. Just hey, get out of the way. Let your teammate by. Although, I, and this is this is what gets me. Um, officially, the team says, "Oh no, Felipe Massa um, by mistake upshifted by three gears too many and his, really? his exit." Yeah. That's that's the you know I I hate that when that happens all the time. I'm like second, third, fourth, and six. Oh shoot! Oh, I meant no, to fourth. Oh, oh crap! So. Massa, to his, you know, 
he's in, a, in an impossible situation. I mean, he's, he's, he had a great start. He had some cunning moves. And actually, you know, I've got to give the guy credit. We're not and, the biggest Massa fans. There was but. a moment where Alonzo was pressuring Massa. It got very close. There was some lap traffic involved, and Massa successfully held him off. It yeah. was great racing. Yeah. And uh, so the first question is, well, what does Ferrari have to gain from this? Okay. They, if they're 1-2, it doesn't matter for the, for the constructors' points. Who's 1 and who's 2? Right. They get maximum points, and Ferrari as a company is happiest. Um, their whole uh, f- their their focus then must have been well. Fernando Alonso is ahead in the championship by 34 points, I think. Uh, so oh, let's give it to him. So he's got a better chance of getting the drivers' championship. That's also good for them instead of spreading the pe- the team, uh, you know, spreading the sure. points evenly. Sure. Um, which but they're not allowed to make the call on those grounds. Okay, that's team orders. That's what has been made illegal since 1992 or whatever. Yeah, well, um, 2000. Oh yeah, oh two. Yeah, that's 2004. Right. Um, it was. So which was as we mentioned, you know, Ferrari um, and. So, it, you know, they say, okay, well, it was, you know, to, to first go on the radio and make a pretty obvious claim. And this is why I think it's great so that the teams can't uh, censor their radio because they probably <laughs> would have liked to. No kidding. Um, is to say, okay, yeah, you, you know, Fernando Alonso was faster. And, um, and, and then, then to come out afterwards and say, oh, no, it was an accidental upshift. And oh, it was I know. An error. Come on. It's like, really? How stupid do you think we are? So Fernando Alonso says, oh, I didn't know what happened. I just saw that Massa slowed down and I went around him because that's, Which is also, that's what I do. Yeah, that's also and then, and But... So Massa um, was just the most diplomatic about this. He he wanted to make it obvious that no, Alonso didn't genuinely pass him because he was faster. He says, you know, he made it clear, like, you know, coming out of this corner, Armando was straight, just backing off, yeah. letting Alonso around. He basically cruised for a moment. And in the in the interviews and everything, um, he's just he says says what it is. It's sort of like this is my place in the team, and this is what I've instructed to do, and. You know, stop right. short of saying this is BS and this is terrible, but just kind of like, you know, you can tell from his body language and everything. He's just not pleased about it. And, and no one would be. Right. No one would be. So there's an excellent post by uh, by Gavin uh, as a rubber goat, as he's known on uh, Twitter and whatnot. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's got this, you know, his blog. Make- Twitter, Twitter's for adults. You're sure about this? Yes. Okay. Uh, his, his blog, Making Up the Numbers. It's f1numbers.wordpress.com. Um, and as you remember, he used to do qualifying and fuel analysis and stuff when sure. there was fuel to be analyzed. Um, but he's, you know, doesn't do posts all the time. But he's got a great post about this where he actually charts out Massa's and Alonso's lap times and the delta between them and the gap between them and all that. And you can't really look at that and say that Massa was holding up Alonso. I mean, he uh, the, the lap times, the, the gap is floating around. And you know, I think for the eight laps previous to that radio call. Um, Massa was faster for five out of those eight laps than Alonso. Yeah. So there's, it's not clearly like this is the gap. This is what was going on. Um, I mean, once Alonso got around, uh, got around Massa, then yeah, he, he you know peeled off or whatever because and, and started getting up a good gap. But sort of like that's what the team told Massa to do. So you know he's he didn't at least you know try to fight back and take take each other out or anything like that. But you know, it, it's not clear that uh, that Alonso was a lot faster. If he was that much faster than Massa, he should have been able to pass and get around. Well, and I think that's that's at the end of the day, what it is is that look, if you're faster than the guy, pass him. I I, I don't understand the difficulty here. Yeah. You know, there's a great passing opportunity entering turn six. That's a big tight hairpin. Stay on your teammate. Pass him there. And you know, it'd be quite another thing if. They got on the radio and said, Massa, do not block Alonzo. Mm-hmm. Something like that. You know, if 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 they if Alonzo had a clean pass and Massa didn't, you know, fight, didn't work hard and push so they avoided a crash, like, Massa, we don't want to crash here. You know, if Massa, you know, whatever. You know yeah. what I'm saying. And I remember how um, other ways that they've sort of skirted around this issue in the past. I remember Kimi Raikkonen famously backing off, uh, I think it was to let Massa around, and uh, and – you know, without any team orders, and in the interviews, they're kind of like, well, what was that? And, and Kimi just sort of says, hey, I know my place in the team, and I did what I thought. It was my own call. It wasn't the team asking me to do anything, and that yeah. there was actually not a problem with that. It's still a little bit sleazy because it's like we all right. kind of know. Um, but, uh, but I mean, Massa did the same thing for Raikkonen in 07. Yeah. Uh, when Raikkonen went on to win the world championship, that, that was in part because... Massa, who was leading the race, let Raikkonen by. Yeah. So, so it was kind of a returning the favor type of thing. So so there's a lot of ways to do it that are, aren't in breach of the rule, but I think you and I agree the rule is stupid in the first place. Yes. Because we end up with situations like this where we know the team what the teams want to get done, and I guess if they, if you were one two, you have control of the race. You should be able to. I mean, right. You should be able, to, I guess, to 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 do what you want, and uh, you know just. 
to artificially have a, a, a rule that's so hard to enforce is, I think, what's, right. what's key about it. It's and, just, and, and that's what happens is they get coy about it and they come up with stupid excuses and everything like that. And it's like, we're not dumb. Yeah, and then Fernando Alonso in the press conference was sort of acting as though, oh, you guys don't know what's going on. Like, it had just this really just kind of um, obnoxious tone uh, to the effect of, like, oh, yeah, no, sometimes this happens at racing and blah, 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 and I didn't know what was happening. It's like, come on, guys, everybody here knows what was going on, you know, right. and, and Massa was more straightforward about it. So, yeah. Well, I think no one, no one doubts Alonso's talents. He's a very, very, very good driver, probably the best around right now. But I think what Alonso's looking for is the same setup that Schumacher had back in the day. Yeah. And Massa, in his entire time at Formula One, save for the very first year that he, save for that year that he was racing with Schumacher, isn't used to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was much more fair in the Raikkonen Massa days, and I, I don't think Massa's happy about it. Yeah, and also, I mean, Fernando Alonso doesn't have the best history with the media and with being straight. I mean, being involved with sort of, you know, the PK spin-out, everything, you know, the, the crash oh, in the McLaren, the McLaren the whole McLaren situation between Ferrari you know, and 07, yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot to point to, to Fernando kind of, you know, trying to... Do you think, do you think Alonso owns that dog with the shifty eyes? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Alonso's dog definitely has shifty I eyes. I think that's the, I think that's the case. So... At the end, anyway, at the end of the day, um, a lo- a Ferrari has been penalized a hundred thousand um, dollars to the team, which it's one of those penalties where like Ferrari can afford it. They're going to look at that. Is it really going to change their behavior? I have to say, no. it's not going to. No, not at all. Um, and it's it's a stupid rule, I think. Um, and I guess ideally, we would like to be we would like F1 to be about you know the best guys with the best performance and the best car wins the race all the time, and to, to manipulate that sucks. But making the rule against it doesn't stop that from happening. It just means you have to do it in weird ways. Right, exactly. So no, I think that's exactly right. If there right. are going to be team orders, just let there be team orders. Don't not be coy about it and be stupid about it and end up in this situation. And it's so I guess, yeah. And it's really unfortunate because the problem is, is Ferrari performed fantastically well. Ferrari as a team did tremendous this weekend. They genuinely beat Red Bull on race pace. Yes. And they genuinely beat, soundly, McLaren on race pace. And I think we should talk about Red Bull a little bit. That car has been, in terms of pure speed, dominant. Yeah. Dominant this entire season. They were outpaced. Yes, and and, and certainly Weber, too, I mean, compared to Vettel. So on, on Saturday, like we mentioned, you know, Vettel just barely got pole position, and that's all it takes. I mean, he did get pole position. You're either first or you're second, and he's first. So even though it was only by a tiny, tiny amount, he did did beat Ferrari in terms of overall pace. But, you know, the fact that Weber was much farther off the pace sort of means, like, that must have been just a dream lap for Vettel. And I think he said right. it was. He sort of visualized the perfect lap in his mind and then drove that, yep. and, which is what I do every morning before I go to work. I of visualize course. the perfect yep. commute, Absolutely. and then I drive it. That's always that's why I'm 27 minutes late to work every morning. Yeah. I have to visualize that commute. That's right. It takes, it takes a while to visualize <laughs> it. takes a, it. a long time. There's going uh, to be a minivan here, so, and I'm passing on the left. <laughs> that's how it goes. Um, <laughs> So the car maybe wasn't quite, you know, as competitive. I think maybe the, uh, the the weather issues on Friday may have contributed to, you know, it's sort of harder to develop it and uh, harder to sort of get your setup really dialed into exactly what you want uh, when you've just got limited running. But, uh, yeah, so, so Weber wasn't up there. Uh, Vettel was only just. And then, and then so Vettel tries to do the Schumacher chop uh, over onto uh, to Alonso. The, the race start was something. On the race start, yeah, and just try to get right in front of him. It sort of was you know, so caught up in getting around Alonso that Massa was like, all right, see ya, just pass him on the outside and and held onto it from there. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, Massa's start was very, very good, but he was also lucky because Vettel did that chop that gave Alonso more to deal with, and they kind of slowed both of them up, and Massa was like, sweet, and he was out. Hamilton from six to third. Yeah, that was brilliant. So turn one here at Hockenheim actually reminds me a lot of, of turn one at Silverstone through cops where it's just kind of, it's, it's not, it's not really tight. It's not a hairpin. Um, and you've got plenty of asphalt runoff and there's really not a penalty for running pretty wide. And, uh, it's, it's almost, you know, there were a couple of runs in like, like button as I was, um, uh, or, or like Hamilton's where I was a little bit like, is that going off the track to gain advantage? Because it was mm-hmm. like a lot of these cars went way wide, you know, all four wheels off and right, like way, right. way off track. But many people have done it before. But they, yeah, but really they held onto it and yeah. sort of rejoined the track and everything was safe. But uh, yeah, so there's a lot of lines through turn one on lap one. And uh, I mean, Hamilton just made it work. He just, you know, found his way through there. Sort of when, it, when there was other when confusion with other drivers, he just sort of, you know, barreled through there. And uh, Jensen Button, though, lost out big in the start. I don't know. It yeah. just... He, he ended up. He had. To, he got brake checked by. I think it was Vettel because Vettel was, uh, you know, was being uh, racy against Alonso, and the two of them got slowed up because Massa ended up in front. And then 
Uh, Button was actually in really good position. Then he ended up behind Vettel. So and then I mean, Hamilton just way off track. Yeah, just Hamilton around. just tore off. I mean, it wasn't really Button's fault. But again, I think in general, even the most ardent Button fan can't argue that Hamilton is a stronger race starter than Button is. Yeah. But uh, and then and after that, I mean, it really settled down pretty well. I mean, there yeah, was quite a bit. There was uh, we were looking for the drama, and uh, so the first round of pit stops was pretty early on uh, because of you know all the drivers that started on super softs um, from the, qualifying. Yeah, right. from qualifying didn't uh, you know weren't able to hold on to those tires for a super long time. So um, there's first round of uh, of pits, and then Button stayed out longer, and I think ended up getting you know gaining one position for it by by keeping yeah, he, his super he, softs. He basically got around Weber because Weber got around him. Button started fifth, ended up in sixth. I think he was even seventh for a moment, um, but uh, was able to stay out on the softs much longer than anybody else. I think another five or six laps. And yeah, led the race for that time because the, everyone in front of him pit. Exactly, and and merited his position back to fifth um, from Weber. So Weber ended up losing two positions from his starting. But uh, Jensen could get, not get around his teammate and stayed behind Hamilton yeah. for the duration. So he did his gentle on the tires, tortoise and hare thing, but it was only really good for one position. In this and Jensen, stage. Jensen, look, dude, seriously, I'm a huge fan of yours, but you are kind of a tortoise driver, and that's a good thing. It's a strategy. It's not a bit. You're fast, just strategic. Yeah. And like a tortoise. So he's still he's still planning out his pass, you know, how to get around a uh, guy. He just he just sits back, back sits back he there. He just needs and, uh, two more laps, dude. Just two just more. If two the more race laps. were two more two laps longer, he would have just had, or maybe maybe ten laps longer. Whatever. He's still second in the championship. He's only 14, pi- 14 points behind Hamilton. Second in the championship. That's less than a race win away. Yes. And uh, so we did see a couple of drivers later in the race do second pit stops and get onto fresh uh, fresh tires. Uh, one of which was Pedro de la Rosa in the Sauber. Who then ended up and just decided it was bumper cars after that, and he did a couple of pretty ugly passes, muscling his way through, figuring like, oh, I, you know, if Kobayashi can make up two positions in the last lap with you know fresh tires, and I can do anything, right? Um, and had like a really ugly pass on, I think it was Kovalainen, because Yarno Trulli's car had issues earlier on, mm-hmm. uh, so it was you know pass on Kovalainen where he ended up you know, knocking off the corner of his front wing. Um, he had another just ugly pass before that, so. There was a little bit of tire drama, but not anything that really affected the top runners, uh, not anything that really made it that exciting. What made Canada great wasn't a huge disparity between the two tires. It's that the tires were really softer than they should have been, quote-unquote, which means they didn't hold up as long as they were expecting them to. The super softs only held up for 5 or 10 laps. The softs only held up for 15 or 20 that is what made it so good. Not a huge gap between the two tires, but that neither tire could really hold up for a race distance, and people had to choose between more speed versus more distance on the tire. They had to do pit stops. It wasn't just a pit stop because of a regulation. Yeah. It was pit stops because my tires are falling off the car. And like it used to be with fuel uh, in qualifying, there was that trade-off of, ooh, if I can drive just gently enough and it's going to be slower, but... By how much slower is I the can, question? I can. Can I go you know, more laps? Yeah, hold these tires out for longer, and that's the difference in strategy. And then yeah. the, you know that that was what made it interesting. So, um, well, Bridgestone's out at the end of the year anyway. So yeah. I guess maybe I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter. So, but, but it's too bad that they couldn't. They, yeah. they tried the, to manufacture some drama, and that didn't really work. The key is, the tires are too good. They last too long and hold up too well. You need to have more compromise, more sacrifice, less distance on those tires. That's what makes the racing more exciting. The fact that the pit stops are mandatory, I think, is ridiculous. I think the tires should be designed to fail sooner and be faster mm-hmm. and then have the pit stops be what they are because they need to pit because these tires are no good anymore. Yeah, that's I agree with that. And speaking of tires and especially about confusion, oh. man, Force India had a really, really rough weekend. Okay, so they had, um, you know, they're just they said they're keen to move on, but... Um, so Adrian Sutil, first of all, had, so like starting further than that, Lucy had a giant crash in, qual- in the beginning of qualifying. So he starts like near near the near back row, near twenty twentieth or twenty first, something yeah, like that. Yeah, basically. Um, and you know, Adrian Sutil had a, had a uh, you know gearbox change, so he, he qualified fourteenth, um, and uh, and then had to take five penalties, you know, five spots from there. So it started off terrible. Um, had some. Uh, some accident damage early on in the race, um, and then had to come in, you know, and actually they stacked the pits, had both both cars come in into one pit box and, uh, and you know, swap tires around. But the drivers were on different tire strategies, and as it turned out, the left rear guy had the wrong set of tires for each car. So he put Liuzzi super soft on Sutil's car, so Sutil ended up with three three hards and one super soft, and then Liuzzi had the exact opposite of that, um, and, and 
which you're not allowed to do to the rules, but uh, you know, to their credit, Force India realized this early on, brought the cars back in, put the right, you know, the correct left rear tire on each car, and went back out. So any hope of sort of scrapping back and maybe you know some get, getting lucky with tires or getting lucky with weather, any of that was just thrown out the window when they yeah. already had accent damage, had to stretch, you know, had to stack the pits, and then caused a problem by doing that. So and fortunately, um, you know, it is technically against the rules to mix and, mix and match option versus standard tires. So technically, they were against the rules, but um, spirit of the rule that is to gain an advantage. They definitely didn't gain any kind of advantage by making this mistake. Um, they fixed it as soon as they realized it, as quickly as they could, and uh, they were only reprimanded for that decision. They weren't actually penalized, which both Jim and I agree with that decision because you know they were already hosed. What good is it going to do to penalize them at that point anyway? And it's yeah, it's I, I mean, the only time I could really see an advantage being gained by swapping tires is maybe in like some changeable conditions if you've got like inters and like hards or like I don't know if there's some some kind of. Uh, uh, some kind of way that that balance would work, but I just, right. with well, the tires it, where they it are, it could also be if you're having trouble balancing the car, that might be a way to balance the car. It's like, man, we just can't get enough front yeah. end grip for some reason. Well, if we put the options on the front, but you don't want the rears to wear out so quickly, yeah, but then the under braking, I mean, I, just, I don't know. Yeah, it seems like it's, it'd be really hard to gain position. And frankly, we haven't seen this really happen um, in in years. I mean, that I can remember. I, I, don't, I, I don't remember anyone ever having, you know. Part options, part regular yeah. tires on. So, and uh, the final note, as far as the, uh, the final nail in the coffin for for Force India this weekend, uh, was the, I mean the accident damage they had on the th- first lap was the two the two Force Indias getting into each other. So it was like teammate crash, tire right. confusion, and, and totally that's, just screwed up their whole weekend. And that's also exactly what happened to Toro Rosso. Oh yeah, um, where uh, Buemi, who I think was qualified eleventh or something like that, um, and uh, was up to ninth. Uh, at the start, and it was in turn six that Algasuari didn't slow down quite enough, ran right into the back of Sebastian Buemi, and took Buemi out of the race. Yes, uh, Algasuari was able to move on. Uh, you know, he wasn't uh, terrible, but he wasn't terribly impressive either. He ended up finishing fifteenth. Um, that is also where he qualified one lap down. So uh, definitely a shame for Buemi. And uh, just yeah, yeah, too bad for those guys. Yeah, it sucks for him. I mean, for I mean, maybe he broke a little bit earlier, whatever. But like we talked about with turn one, you know, lap one, turn one, just cars going every which way, and just you know, getting stuck behind someone and kind of just getting choked up just a little bit on the brakes can be all the difference in the world. And uh, I guess it's it's it sucks, but uh, yeah, that was you know really an unfortunate way to get taken out of the race is every teammate you know smash off your rear wing. One more quick thing, just because uh, we've mentioned it a lot in the last couple of races seems like Williams is once again falling behind just a little bit. Um, they weren't quite able to have the pace they had in the previous two race weekends, but we are definitely keen to keep a close eye on them because Rubens has been fantastic. Yes. Um, he had a showing in Top Gear recently. He is now one of the F1 drivers that has raced on Top Gear, and uh, I think that and that alone um, is, uh, is uh, worth keeping him for another year. I mean, yeah, we still like I mean, Rubens he, a lot. I mean, they, they had, I mean, they had some pretty good because uh, what they qualified. Rubens where was eighth, and uh, Hulkenberg tenth. I mean, so both in the top ten. It's not not it, bad. They definitely improved, but it just wasn't quite as impressive as it has been the last couple of races. Yeah, because they ended if, up out of the top ten. If they were, yeah, if they were top five or something like that. But uh, yeah, finished twelfth and thirteenth. So it was look, you know, still looking good for them. Hopefully, they can uh, they can you know capitalize on that. But um, not quite the uh, they hadn't you know continued the trend that we saw them on. I guess yes. Already, so that's um, that's I, we, it. We've had some great feedback from our uh, our inter inter teammate rivalry discussion from last week and all that, and uh, I think we should talk about that. So uh, let's go there. I know exactly what you guys are thinking. Man, why won't those two just shut up? We couldn't agree more. It's time for listener feedback. We really couldn't. No, we really couldn't. And uh, this time round, we had count them. 11 comments on the Facebook on the F1 show page itself which is fantastic we are very happy to see that so we want to thank Cam McGrath Tony Bird Michael Kornbrecha I don't know how to pronounce that and uh, Peter Oliver um, and I want to read Peter Oliver's comments because he's answering uh, something that we were talking about um, okay Robin this is Anthony Davidson's answer to your conundrum about why Jensen had and has so much difficulty in qualifying and yet was, is able to scamper up the field in race conditions. This year's tires, both options and hard compound, and their particular characteristics. 
uh, on full race conditions, heavy fuel, the boogers <laughs> give uh, L. Button the confidence and grip he requires. Light fueled and quality, they really do slide and are an anthema to his style. However, they do suit Lewis, who is very happy to slip slide around bends and make that sucker dance to his tune in light fuel quality conditions. I think Anthony's inside knowledge hypothesis has a lot going for it. Um, and Peter, I absolutely agree with you. That does make a lot of sense. Um, it does seem like Jensen is a little bit uh, inconsistent, though. Sometimes in qualifying, he's able to make some pretty decent hay out of it, including this German Grand Prix. And other times, he's a little bit more lackluster. So maybe there could be just tolerances within the set. Maybe he had a bagged set that really wanted to slip and slide. I don't know. But anyway, thank you for the comment and turning me on to Anthony Davidson's description. Um, we also wanted to... Um, yeah, I want to talk about Paul Peard real quick. He just says, you know, great show. Thanks for the mention. And hope it, he says, I hope my internship continues. And yes, Paul, you've been doing a great job. You're the official F1 show Facebook intern poster of interesting content. Uh, you, you've been renewed for another year. So uh, we appreciate the, your work very much. And uh, Keep it up. Yes. And also, uh, Rants on F1 had a bone to pick, of us, pick with us because we, uh, we were forced to mention his prediction of Schumacher outscoring Rosberg. Um, Rants on F1, we, we hear you, and we agree with you that Schumacher is a, a, a very, good, uh, very good driver, of course, and we, we're actually huge fans of the guy, and we just like to poke fun at him. However, there is no tolerance for such an egregious error in predictions. We, we, we simply can't allow it. And then also he says, uh, you know, being a huge Schumi fan, he thinks Schumacher's done a better job than, numbers su- than the numbers suggest. If we were to discount bad luck he's had, mechanical problems, tire getting stuck in the pits, and then that whole Alonso pass, you know, Monaco situation and all yeah. that, um, his score would be even with Rosberg, which he then admits is still pretty bad considering it's Schumacher we're talking about. It's not just any driver. It's, you know, Michael freaking Schumacher. Um, he says he hopes he'll improve and get back to his old form. Otherwise, he might need to shrink soon to get over his impending Schumacher-induced depression. Right. And well, I think the German fans are maybe feeling the same way. So uh, Very true. And there's, But see, in that, there's a lot of woulda, shoulda, coulda. And I think at the end of the day, even if you just look at qualifying performances, you know, Rosberg's made more lemonade than Michael has. And I think that's just the... the the end of it. You right, know. and there's no championship for like, well, discounting bad luck, this is the guy that would have won, and this right, is the, of the money he would have made and the points he would have had. It's really what it comes down to is, you know, how many points does each guy have, and then beyond that, it's kind of look at the relative performance. So, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I don't, it, yeah, I was actually going to give Schumacher a bit of a break this, uh, this, this race no, report. No, no. But, you know. He had his left turn signal on. Because <laughs> those cars definitely have turn <laughs> signals. And finally, I wanted to uh, mention Barry, who was the 11th out of 11 commenters, who said... Uh, that the comments page deserves an internal Coke. I agree, however, not on my computer. I think that would stain. Indeed. Uh, we also had lots of comments, uh, on, as usual, uh, various interesting posts and comments on Facebook. If you're not part of that page but you are part of Facebook, go to facebook.com slash F1show and check it out from there. Be a part of the, what is it, 700 fans strong? 690. And, oh, man, uh, we are so close to 700. There's already we're already bumping uh, a lot of conversation about the $100,000 fine and the... Uh, team orders that came out of Ferrari. Uh, Sean Scanlon uh, started that, and there's a lot of people talking about that. So if you're interested in joining that conversation, that is the place to go. Also, um, we haven't done this in a while because we haven't been able to watch these races live with the Fox coverage and everything else here. Uh, we like to use Twitter during the races and uh, get some, you know, throw some little little you know, nuggets out there and get some responses back. Uh, I do want to thank Cam McGrath for uh, blowing up the Twitter feed as usual uh, with some, some pseudo live coverage on Twitter and uh, letting us know what's going on and some, uh, some pits and, uh, or some, some points of view. Um, and also, I mean, really early on, he's, you know, as soon as they made that call over the radio, he goes, how is that not team orders? You know, yeah. maybe well, Alonzo would have gotten around eventually, but come on. And, and I think uh, James Payne actually sums it up best uh, on the uh, Facebook comments page when he wrote simply, what a joke. Yeah. And also, just uh, to finish on, Cameron says, you know, regardless of your personal opinions about team orders, fact is they're banned. You know, given that, how can they? How can Ferrari not be penalized? Yeah, and I and I think Jim and I completely agree with that. That's that's pretty much the deal. So um, we really appreciate everyone, uh, you know, letting us know what their their thoughts are and call us out when we're wrong and congratulate us on when we're right and all that. But we're uh, never wrong. So I mean, fair enough. Never yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so basically, visit visit f one show dot com and there's links to everything else from there, and uh, we really appreciate it. Do it. Trivia, 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 trivia.
And as everyone's favorite song plays, we know that means it's time for trivia. And uh, last week we had a, uh, a fairly straightforward question uh, about the old Silverstone Grand Prix circuit. And in fact, the first time they ran the Silverstone Grand, the, the British Grand Prix at Silverstone um, for the 1950 British Grand Prix. And the specific question is, you know, what is the what was the length of that track? Um, in its original configuration. And we actually did have a couple of right answers. The, the right answer was, of course, 2.8887 miles long, almost a mile shorter, and a very, very, very different layout from today. Um, back then, in 1950, it was pretty much old runways and you know taxiways linked together and made a road course out of it. Uh, of course, today it is all but nothing to do with that. Well, they used, they started using the access roads around the perimeter, and that's kind of what it's sort of grown from there. But uh, originally it was all runways, and it was this really kind of strangely shaped course with a lot of straights in it. And uh, then it was like, oh, the perimeter roads would be good too, and then they, they did that, and that's kind of where it's evolved from. But uh, as an interesting side note to this, um, do you know the official way that track length is determined for a particular uh, strip of track? Would it be a V-Box by any chance? No, just the, the, the actual measurement, uh, because oh. that is something that we do, um, you know, for, for a lot of different circuits is, you know, I'm trying to define what is the official length of this track. And, uh, you know, you'd think maybe, okay, the driving line, but then the driving line's going to be a little bit different, different conditions. No, I would definitely, situations. I would think you'd go right around the middle of the track or something. Right, so it's actually, but then because the width of the track is different at different points, um, it's, you, you measure exactly, you know, right along the inside white line and the outside white line and just average it. So it's when you look at average speeds and stuff. So so that's the actual you know length of the track as a you know as a theoretically down the center you know which, right. which course changes. Um, but because you know some of these tracks are a lot wider than others, and some have you know different weird uh, you know ways. Whether some places the track's really wide and some places very very narrow. Yeah, sure. um, doing an average speed over the course of the you know official length of the track. If you say okay, the lap time is X, and we know the distance being that, um, and giving an average speed that way is not always. In fact, not usually the actual average speed over the course of a lap. Because I see the, because the, the distance is the different. driver probably took a shorter distance than the than the length would suggest. Right, and on on a really tight you know like on Monaco, I guess there's probably not that many different lines you can take. It's probably pretty close to the sure. and, and lots of lefts and lots of rights. But um, you could imagine some place like uh, like Turkey, you know, with the four apex left hand or stuff like that. You know, that the driving line could be quite a bit shorter than the actual official length of the track. Of course, quite a bit being kind of relative, but I, I, I definitely see your point. But, yeah, so, but when they report... In uh, Formula 1 terms, I mean... Well, yeah, when they report a, a, an average speed accurate to a thousandth of a mile an hour, then, you know, it's, if, if you're going to report thousands, you might as well make them accurate. Anyway. Yeah, fair point. On to the new question. New question, I think, is a fun one. It's uh, not terribly... I don't know. It's a fun one. The question is, who holds the record for best percentage of race wins to race starts as a ratio. How many people have won more races that they've started than any other person? Does that make sense? And I will give you a hint, and this is an actual hint. It's not Michael Schumacher. There you have it. Okay. <laughs> so visit F1show.com. You can reply there and let us know what you think it is. Um, and, uh, you, you know, post it on Facebook tweet us whatever whatever you like any of the usual ways for feedback uh we also take as answers for trivia and uh we'll check in with the answer to that next episode in the meantime predictions of course um predictions it it is on once again and both jim and i thought red bull was going to own it and they didn't. Just well, just barely. Vettel owned it. I mean, but not not for the race, but uh, for qualifying at least. So uh, let's take a look at how we did. Okay, Jim, you of course were a sissy and predicted exactly like the statistical model and said that once again, uh, Sebastian Vettel will be on pole and Weber would win the race. Hey, you can't argue with success. You of course were wrong. And what about half of it. You were wrong about half of it. And I was a little bit more wrong than you. So what can I say? I said Weber, Weber. I thought he was going to take that momentum and uh, from the British Grand Prix and run with it. And instead, he sputtered out like he was out of energy. So alas, it was Alonso on pole. And, I'm sorry. It was Vettel on pole. You were correct about that. But Alonso did win the race. Um, however, we did have um, uh, our fan predictions uh, did quite a bit better this time around. Peter Oliver holding it down for you guys. He predicted Alonzo on pole and Alonzo to win the race. He was um, only one spot off for qualifying. One spot off for zero. qualifying. Oh, man. And yeah, so we he He's had a us. clairvoyant sense of free, uh, Ferrari's resurgence that uh, we simply did not have. So all that being said, the question is, 
So yes, by the way, Jim, you did uh, score better than me this time around. But let's not let's not hang around on that. Oh, one. you're going to give me a German Coke you. tonight. I tell you what. Or maybe <laughs> can I trade in two cokes for a beer? Maybe can I? Uh, can we can we trade up that? One? I owe you three. So how about yes? So that that ought to be good for something. Done. For anyway, sure. um, so we're going to move on to the next race. And the question is: Is Ferrari going to hang on to its uh, its newfound pace here, or is Red Bull going to come right back, or is McLaren going to fight back? Are they going to finally get their hands on this blown diffuser, which I still think is underwhelming them at this point? Yeah, and I'm I'm at a loss of kind of interesting things to say to stall because I mean it really is a good question and I'm trying to I'm trying to come up with a a, a reasonable prediction. Um, it'd be great if I thought of this before. And actually well, predictions are, were getting frankly a little bit easy because y- you more or less had four drivers to choose from, and you know if if they weren't on pole they weren't far from it. Yeah. But now that Ferraris come back to form, and uh, you know Mercedes a little off and on, there is. There's more potential for people to do well here. That's right. And that gave me the perfect opportunity to actually come up with what I wanted to say. Th- th- you are welcome. Yes, thanks. And that um, – I, I do think Ferrari is, is going to keep with it. So I don't think it's going to be Massa. I think that uh, Alonso will be on pole Ooh. and will um, – Well, it won't be Massa. We all know that. <laughs> yeah, that's a sad panda for you. Um, <laughs> But I actually think Vettel's going to come back and win the race. I think really? it's going to be a, 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 a flip-flop of what we saw today. That's that's very interesting, and that is also a flip-flop of what the statistical model says. I am at a loss because it's a tight track. So I think all the advantages that Red Bull really has tend to get minimized a little bit. The blown diffuser, um, the really effective blown diffuser, all the other things. That, that crazy little German kid behind the wheel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He's not good with the tight bends. Um, so I am going to say that Hamilton is going to be able to muscle his car around the tight track better than anybody else on a single lap. In oh, see, I just don't think they're there with the diffuser yet, but, but uh, I don't but think that's why we do the predictions. But I don't think the diffuser is going to be as effective at Hungary as it would be, um, in other places because Hungary as, as, as I remember it is basically the tightest track except for Monaco. Hmm. Um, now the question is, is Hamilton going to win the race? The answer is yes. There you have it. There you go. I, I, I'm, I'm finding that I am uh, having a different person uh, win the race um, versus who's on pole less and less yeah. these days. It's a lot more of uh, whoever gets the, gets the gold gets the glory, I guess. If that makes any sense at all. Not really. But uh, <laughs> if you'd like to make some predictions that uh, do or do not make sense, then uh, use any of the various ways we mentioned to get in touch with us and basically visit F1Show.com. And uh, we'll, you know, we pick somebody uh, at random who's uh, got something interesting to say as a, as a fan prediction. So that could be you if you say something exciting. You and, just uh, have to be random enough. Leave, leave a comment for us on F1Show.com, and uh, everybody gets Cokes. And it's really, it's really a great whole thing. Well, I think it's time for some spots in. And some, some sauerkraut, yes. and some bratwurst, yes. something, and some of those things, and I think maybe even a little, uh, what is it called, like Black Forest Sunday surprise or something like that. It's crazy dessert. It has all this crap in it. I think you just made that up. No, it's Black Forest. All right. On that note, we'll see you in two weeks. I'm Jim Lau, and I'm Robin Warner. See ya.